The nail in the coffin! Welcome to the Nail in the Coffin. I'm Tom Valentino, and it is Mid-American Conference Tournament Week in Cleveland, which means I am joined by Jason Arkley, Ohio University beat writer for the Athens Messenger. Jason, you were in Cleveland, but this year you did not bring the Bobcats with you. Uh, we're going to be focusing mostly on the teams that are here, but uh, what happened to OU? Uh, Ohio has endured a rough 12 months, Uh uh, a year ago at this time, I was telling you about Antonio Campbell and and how tough that injury was for that for for the Bobcats to get over. I thought they were the best team in the league last year, and then that happened. Uh, more injury issues all throughout 2017. Um, they lost uh, potential Player of the Year candidate in Jerron Simmons, who took a grad transfer to uh, be the backup at Michigan. And then in October, they lost a preseason all-conference player, Jason Carter, essentially for the season with a stress stress fracture in his leg. And the injuries just kept on coming. Uh, this uh, The Ohio was a club that uh, uh, didn't have enough depth, uh, and no one would after the, the spate of injuries they had. They, they kind of found some things that worked for them towards late in the year, but uh, the damage had been done. This was a team that essentially lost two all conference or, or maybe potential conference of the year type guys in, in one off season and then had a two fairly serious very fairly serious injuries early this season they were always pushing that rock uphill and never got in front of things and their record uh kind of kind of proved that point at the end of the year yeah so this is the sixth straight year no no tournament appearance no ncaa tournament appearance fifth straight not making the conference championship game. Obviously, there were some circumstances this year, but uh, it was an under 500 year, and uh, they went out in the first round last night uh, at uh, Miami. Uh, are the natives getting restless down there? Uh, a little bit. Um, Saul Phillips, the the current head coach, is entering year five of his initial contract. That is the last year of his initial contract. Uh, there's been no extension announced. There's been no extension on record yet for Phillips. Uh, and his his buyout number drops considerably once you get to May. So, uh, in theory, there there's a a you know there's a small uh, spring of, of discontent who who think that uh, Ohio should be in the MAC final every year, who should be getting into the NCAA tournament every third year at, at worst, that kind of deal. Uh, but Phils will have a year to uh, to prove himself. Um, and again, if if things go according to plan. Last year or this season, I think the the whole thing is moot, and he would have been an ex, would have been extended by now. But uh, he, the fact of the matter is, he wasn't. So he is heading into an off season where potentially uh, the first time that I can think of, Ohio will will have a off season where they'll have a head coach potentially in that lame duck status. Be interesting to see if Ohio does get some sort of extension done. Now, once once the tournament, the NCAA tournament's in the rearview mirror, uh, but. Um, but again, that's that's something that's usually taken care of before the year gets rolling. It didn't get done. There's been a change in, of course, the presidency at Ohio University, which is probably impacting some of those contract talks. And it'll be a very interesting summer uh, in the roundhouse on Richland. Uh, do, do they extend Phillips? Do they wait? If you wait and don't extend him and he has a kind of a breakthrough year, then your odds of retaining him or, or getting by or even just getting buyout protection if he does leave are, are, are dramatically decreased. Uh, so yeah, uh, some, 
some unsettled things in the, in, in the front office, so to speak, for the Bobcats right now. So that's something to keep an eye on over the next couple months, whether Phillips does get that extension. And if he doesn't, then uh, the next winner is going to be uh, pressure-packed, uh, at least for the head coaches on that staff. Well, they're putting in a new video board finally in the convo, I heard. So No, that's that's unreal, isn't it? I, I can't believe that Ohio University is going to try to get into the modern age with their their video slash scoreboard technology in the convo. Well, I, I, I only bring that up because I don't know if uh, after they clean out the budget, putting up the center-hung scoreboard finally, if there's going to be anything left to pay a new coach. So uh, timing might be everything for him. That's that's the other thing. Uh, Jim Shouse, the Ohio AD, has, has not bought out any coach under his watch at Ohio University, even in, in some that probably deserve to be bought out. So I think Phillips, worst case scenario, gets that fifth year. And uh, best case scenario, I think for him, that the, you know, they tabled a discussion of an extension until after the year and some sort of extension gets announced in, in April, May, June, sometime along those those lines. But Ohio will not be in the market for any kind of payout and and hiring a new coach this spring. It's a it's a very tight athletic budget there as it is, you know, with most Mac schools. And uh, uh, unless it's for cause, uh, Jim Schaus hasn't shown yet that he's just going to dump a coach, pay the buyout and, and, and move on. He's going to let that thing play out to the very end. All right. Well, as much as I would love to uh, talk uh, OU Bobcats for the whole time, it's probably time to shift gears <laughs> into the uh, the teams that are actually going to be here in town this weekend. Uh, I'm going to be honest. It kind of feels like this is going to be a tough sell this weekend in Cleveland. Uh, Akron and Kent State, both underdogs in their quarterfinal games. And if the chalk holds, you're going to have semifinals involving Buffalo, Ball State, Toledo, and Eastern Michigan none of which have historically been a good draw here, right? Yeah, absolutely. I agree. It could be a, a worst-case scenario worst case scenario in terms of attendance for that semifinal Friday. Uh, the, the one team from in-state, Toledo, is a team that, tip, like you said, typically doesn't bring a lot of people here uh, to the queue. Uh, Buffalo, not far away, but but again, they, they sometimes have trouble uh, bringing a lot of folks over. Uh, Ball State... Uh, Eastern Michigan uh, again. They can't get, you know, a thousand people reliably in their in their home arena. I, I I don't see a big Eastern Michigan influence here on Friday if they advance. So that is not the four teams the MAC office would pick. You know, no Akron potentially, no Kent, no Ohio. Um, that that is not a recipe for a big attendance number on Friday night and uh, maybe a really low interest uh, figure too from around the city up here. Uh, Again, not a lot of local flavor. Uh, Kent struggled, been really up and down this year. Akron had a huge roster turnover with the coaching change, and they are a shell of the, their former glory. Ohio had a had a tough year injury wise, didn't get to where they're usually at. So three of the three of the marquee teams that that folks are used to seeing in this venue in this tournament on a regular basis uh, probably won't be much of a factor. I you know maybe Kent can get hot and and, and do some things, but. But I think Akron winning on Monday night in the way they did uh, is probably going to be the high point of their year. And uh, like I said, with Kent being so up and down, it's hard for me to envision them playing well back-to-back games or on back-to-back nights. So uh, we'll, we'll see. only the real Mac hoop heads might be in attendance on Friday night because uh, there's some good basketball being played in the conference, but it's not by the teams typically associated with, with great tournament basketball in this league. Quickly, just about Akron. They've got uh, John Gross, who we're familiar with from mm-hmm. uh, Athens. He had 
you know, took uh, Ohio to the Sweet 16 back in 2012, and uh, also he, he took him to the tournament in 2010. Uh, talk about that game last night. That that was, uh, you know, I was kind of peeking at the scores uh, from around the, the first round of the the tournament here for the conference, and I saw that Akron was down 20 to nothing out of the gate at uh, at Western, and, and down 27 to four, and I thought my Yahoo Sports app was glitching or something. <laughs> like, there's no way. It could, especially when I went back to it about an hour and a half later and they were up by 11 in the second half. What, what happened it, to Western? Uh, well, that's a good, that's a great question. Uh, Western was the preseason pick to win the West division. Uh, I thought they had all the, all the pieces in place. They, you know, they've got good size. They got good athleticism. There's a, there's a strong culture in place with coach Steve Hawkins. who has been there forever. Uh, they got one of the best players of the league and a, and a dynamic guard in Thomas Wilder. And for whatever reason, things did not fit together for the Broncos this year. And their loss on Monday was kind of symptomatic of what they've been about, especially over the last couple of weeks. This this Western Michigan team really fell off over the last two weeks of the season. And, and that, that performance Monday was the cherry on top. I, I, I didn't watch the game start to finish. I was I was doing my own thing over there in Oxford, but. Uh, I was I was shocked one that the margin got out to what it was and it couldn't hang on and and two that that Akron a, a team limited in a lot of ways with their personnel you know with, with maybe one true uh, one true forward or one true big on the entire roster and, and Western given their options inside that that seemed like a slam dunk to me that the Broncos would run away with that thing and it didn't happen so uh, but the one thing Akron does and the, the thing that every John Gross team does is shoot a lot of three-pointers, and that's that's part and parcel to what he, he's all about as a head coach. And they got on a couple good runs shooting the three ball, and that turned the game around. And, and I think Western got tight, and, and you know you don't want to say it, but yeah, essentially choked. Uh, you're up 23 at home in a first-round tournament game. That's when you got to win, and they just didn't get it done. So the other team of – a special interest in Northeast Ohio, Kent State. They're going to be playing Ball State on Thursday in the in the quarterfinals. Uh, I believe that is a four or five matchup. So, you know, I, I suppose Kent State is uh, the underdog there, but um, kind of a coin toss game. Do you see a, any sort of a shot for them to, to get out and get to Friday? Yeah, I do because they have one of the, the great wild cards or X-factor guys in the entire conference. That's guard Jalen Walker. Uh, he, I don't think he's met a shot that he's not willing to take, <laughs> uh, but he's a guy when he gets on a tear can can really make things happen. Uh, so when he's on the floor, you, you feel like you got a puncher's chance no matter who you're going against. And, and the one thing Kent State, I, I think, has that that some of the other teams in this conference don't is, is dependability on the front line with Adonis De La Rosa. He's a seven-footer. Uh, he's come a long way over the last three years. He's he's now an above-average defender in the post. He's a guy that that things the offense works better when he's on the floor, and that wasn't the case the last two years. They got a good, solid point guard in Jalen Avery. Uh, they got the X factor in Walker and uh, Kevin Zaba, one of those classic senior guards that is not willing or not ready to see his career end. He he came up with the last second game winner the other night. And Kent State is a team that can play with anybody in the league. You know, they beat top-seeded Buffalo at home, nearly went on the road and beat Toledo, and then they had those head-scratching losses along the way as well where uh, for, you know, whatever reason, usually on a road game, they they, they don't show up or, or just play absolutely horrible. So who are you going to get? Who's who's going to show up for Kent State on Thursday night? If, if the good flashes show up, 
they'll have a chance to beat Ball State, which which again is solid, but but doesn't scare anyone I think in the league. And, and then you get a potential rematch with Buffalo, a team that, that the Flashes have beaten once this year. So uh, they have a chance to make a run, but again they've been they've been so hard to get behind because they've been so inconsistent. Kent State, they won the tournament last year. Uh, do they? If they had a lot of turnover, or they got a lot of familiar faces back from that team that uh, went to the NCAAs last year. Well, I think Walker was the tournament MVP last year. Uh, he got on a roll this week uh, a year ago and 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 kind of carried big carried that team for big chunks of those games up here in Cleveland. Um, so he's a returner. Avery's back. Uh, De La Rosa played a lot last year. The the thing from last year to this year, Kent State was all about Jimmy Walker or not Jimmy Walker. Uh, uh, Jimmy Hall uh, last year in this tournament, the, the 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 fifth year guy, the senior inside, and everything ran through him, and he was kind of the heart and soul. He moved on, and they've kind of they've struggled at times to figure out, okay, you know, this this was this was Hall's team last year. Now now whose team is it this year? And I, I think there's been some growth and learning done in that regard throughout the course of the year, and maybe they found some answers, maybe not, but. But they, they've got enough pieces, like I said, to be dangerous. But but their track record over 30 games has been really up and down. So it's 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 hard to see them playing well enough over four games in a week or three games in three days to win this thing. But but again, you know, they they you could have said the same thing last year and they pulled it off. So you know they'll they'll, they'll be in the mix. We'll, we'll we'll see which team shows up. We'll see if it's good Jalen Walker on Thursday night or or out of control and maybe a little wild Jalen Walker on Thursday night. If, if, if the good, good Jalen's there, then uh, they'll be right in that game against Ball State. All right, so Toledo plays Miami in the early evening game on Thursday. I went and looked this up. Toledo won the very first MAC tournament back in 1980, and they have not won it since. I think they were in the final a few years ago against Western Michigan, if my memory serves me, but they have not actually gotten over the hump and won it. Um Good team though, right? They they uh they're definitely going to be among the the uh, the favorites this weekend, right? I I would think so. The uh, the the thing with Toledo is offense. Uh, they are the the most efficient team offensively in the league this season. Have been since virtually day one. Uh, shoot the ball at a very high clip from the outside. Uh, they got a fifth year grad transfer from a power conference in Treshawn Fletcher. I expect him to be named the conference MVP this week. Uh, he he's a small forward who kind of the offense runs through him uh, like a mini LeBron James. You know he he'll get the ball at that that nail area and uh, make things make good decisions whether it's attacking the rim, shooting mid range, or finding open guys and, and everything kind of funnels through him. Uh, again, they've they've got a lot of a lot of their eyes dotted and their T's crossed. They've they've got a point guard who's getting better every game. A freshman Marion Jackson. I think folks in North, Northeast Ohio are probably familiar with him and his. His lineage, lineage from high school, uh, and then they've got the the complementary pieces. Jalen Sanford at the off guard position is is a top notch shooter. Small forward Nate Navigado is it might be the best sharp shooter in the entire MAC right now, and they've got some size and length inside with a guy like uh, uh, with a guy like Luke uh, uh, Kanapke. I'm worried about saying his name his name wrong, but it's Luke Kanapke, six eleven, maybe pushing seven foot, big guy with some skill. So again, they've got a lot of those different pieces, and they've got that one dominant player in Fletcher that can really make them go. And, and offensively, they've they've clicked well. Their issue, and and, and it, that's been the issue consistently with Todd Kowalczyk's teams at Toledo, anyway, has been defense. Can they get that 
that stop you really got to have with two minutes to go in a tie game kind of deal. And, and that's been a little hit or miss, but if, if they get locked into a scoring contest, uh, there there's besides Buffalo, I'm not sure there's anyone in the league that can, that can top the Rockets in that regard. All right. Well, as you mentioned, uh, the university at Buffalo, they, uh, are the top seed in this tournament and they would be looking for their third title in four years. Um, pretty impressive the way they've been able to kind of string it together. I was kind of wondering if they might be a, a, a one-year wonder after Bobby Hurley took them to the big dance a few years ago, but they've they've remained pretty solid ever since. What's been the key to them keeping that program strong? Uh, Nate Oates has been able to, to get good talent into the program. He's been able to keep some of that talent in the program and develop them along the way. And they've been able to augment the roster in, in, in great ways year to year. Uh, two great example, two great examples of augmenting that roster specifically this year, they get Wes Clark transfer from Missouri, uh, who is plugged in as the, the, the primary point guard. Uh, again, a, a good fit for what that team wants to do and, and needs to do. The other fit this year was that uh, you could call him a guard. You can call him a small forward. Uh, but but the, the shooter from the outside, Jeremy Harris, uh, a junior college kid that has come in. He's six seven, very comfortable facing the rim, uh, very comfortable from the arc. Those two guys fit very specific needs, and they they match up with the rest of the roster athletically. And uh, that's that, I think that's one thing Nate Oates has done really well the last couple of years. He's been able to find quick fixes for very specific issues while maintaining a core of guys that he's developed. And and the guys he's developed or, or helped develop. Uh, C.J. Massenberg, a player of the year type, I, I think, uh, will maybe next year. He's a, he's a junior. He's an off guard. He, I think he leads the team in rebounding. Uh, junior forward Nick Perkins, uh, a big guy, maybe the most maybe the most accomplished interior score or interior threat in the league. Uh, he'll be the sixth or is the sixth man of the year. Comes comes in off the bench. So uh, Nato's has been able to blend what he's been able to do long term, year to year, with these different pieces. And then augment those with with certain one year guys or, or quick fixes. And, and their pace is what stands out about the Bulls. They play at the fastest pace in the league. They want to run, run, and then run some more. Uh, they want to speed the game up as much as possible. They like their depth. They like their athleticism. Uh, so they're going to try to run you out of the gym, no matter who you are. And uh, they're going to go, go, go. And they've 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 been able to make that work for the most part this year. Are you surprised Buffalo's been able to keep Nate Oates this long? And if they happen to get it done this weekend and punch their ticket to another NCAA tournament. Is he still coaching this team a month from now? Um, that's a, that's a good question. I, I think a lot, I think a lot of that depends on what opens up, how much fallout there is nationally from, from the various investigations and, and crises and uh, controversies bubbling around how much turnover there are at, the, at, at certain programs and certain big conferences I think he's proven he can win at this level. I think he's proven he can build a roster at this level. I think he's ready for a step up. Uh, whether he's ready for the step up, I have no idea. I, I do think there are a couple spots that make particular sense. If you know, let's let's uh, hypothetically let's say Pitt. I think everyone recognizes Pitt needs to make a change, whether it happens this year or next year. I think that's the kind of spot that Nato's could could drop right into and be a great fit at, for instance. Uh, so if something like that opens up, I wouldn't be shocked at all to, to, to see him get another opportunity uh, somewhere else next year. All right. So since you mentioned the scandals that have kind of hit college basketball, it's something that we touched on on this show 
recently. You know, it seems like for the most part, that is, uh, those are headlines that are being attached to the high major programs. Um, what, if anything, is this, uh, what, what kind of impact is this having on uh, mid-major programs? Uh, I'm sure there's some. Um, I, I'm not completely well-versed in the how many names and, and what specific names have been attached to these different reports. I, I know there's there's at least one coach in the MAC whose program has been mentioned at some point in, a, in some of these reports. That's Rob Murphy at, at Eastern Michigan. Uh-oh. Uh, um, I, I think his his name was attached or his program was attached to one of the Yahoo reports. Uh, so again, there's a, you know how much of this trickles down to the MAC level. I I, I don't know. I, I think there's I, I'm not naive enough to believe that there isn't some of this going on in this conference. Do I think it's widespread? No. Uh, do I think it's uh, prevalent? No. But 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 again, you're talking about a conference with 12 12 programs in it. I wouldn't be shocked if there's one or two that have are bending the rules in similar ways that we've seen talked about in some of these published reports over the last few months. Have you gotten a chance to kind of dive into that at all in, in terms of if it's not directly impacting like Ohio, for example, or most of the other uh, Mac schools? Um, just kind of do you have a feel for where you could see any of this going? I mean, it kind of feels like it at times we hear about, oh, this could radically reshape college basketball and, and the NCAA as we know it. And I just kind of wonder like where we're all going in all of this. And, you know, obviously there's going to be some impact at, at, the, at the high major level, but, you know, I, I got to imagine at some point it's going to trickle out and there's going to be reverberations uh, for all the conferences. I, I'm a little bit of a cynic in that I've, I've seen controversies crop up, you know, you know, 10 times, 12 times, whatever. And every time, one of these supposed scandals bubbles up. This is going to be a, a, a change. This is going to be a seismic change for how college athletics are work or organized or dealt with. I mean, but then nothing really changes. Uh, for crying out loud, we had UNC uh, basically admit we set up dummy classes, and the fallout from that was what exactly? Um, nothing. I mean, if so, yes, it's it's easy to, to see this kind of stuff come out and see the FBI attached to some of these investigations and believe that, you know, things are going to be drastically different moving forward. But 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 I'm, I'm of the mind now. Well, I, I have to see some sort of effect before I I believe that things are really going to change. Uh, there's too much money being made by too many people for this thing to be upset uh, this easily, in my opinion. It's I, maybe this starts a gradual change. Uh, uh, maybe the FBI is holding on to materials that, that, that are just going to completely shock things and are going to drop a bomb on Selection Sunday that's going to completely change my way of thinking. But, but again, right now we're basically talking about a handful of assistants and, and some list of calls from a distributable guy that have been reported by Yahoo. So uh, it's ugly. It, it doesn't look good. Is, is college, basketball, college basketball going to look drastically different next year at this time? Uh, maybe, maybe not. I, I'm not willing to go that far just yet. I've, I've, I've been down this road before with, with college athletics and, and, and until something really, really changes, then, then I'm of the mind that, you know, there'll be some people held accountable and then they'll move on and it'll be back to business as usual at some point. Well, if you really want to get people fired up and upset, then, uh, Dropping a bombshell right on Selection Sunday and ruining everybody's <laughs> March Madness office pools is a great way to do it. I, I half expect I have to I, I half expect some sort of big 
leak on, on Selection Sunday or, or this weekend coming up at some point. For, you know, somebody in the FBI, one of the defendant's lawyers, maybe Yahoo's got something they're sitting on until Sunday. I, I just get the feeling there's going to be something along these lines uh, released or announced or, or leaked this weekend that's going to try to capitalize on the fervor and fever of Selection Sunday. Man, that, that could get really awkward with broadcasting these games in the next few weeks. I don't, I don't know how you – I mean, that's a giant elephant in the room. But um, if there's any leaks on Sunday, I hope it's just that the bracket gets out early because I don't really feel like spending an hour and a half watching the bracket show. And it sounds like – I think TBS has got it this year. They're going to try to do some things to drag it out, and I, I don't know anybody cheering I, for that. So Yeah, I don't know why TV always wants to drag it out. Uh, I, I guess they want to keep people there for the whole hour or whatever the show is. But – I, I think we learned that what was that two years ago when when that the brackets awful. were leaked. Yeah, uh, just 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 dive in, right? Just you know, recent sixteen teams in the East bracket. Talk about it. Go to the next set and and, and go on. And, and it's not that hard, guys. You're you're making it more difficult than it needs to be. All right. Well, we don't know necessarily who's coming out of the MAC just yet. But the one piece of trivia I I will throw at you is that uh, the conference's representatives in the NCAA since two thousand and four. You, know, you had Ohio win a game in 2010, and then they went to the Sweet 16 in 2012. Outside of that, though, the MAC is 0-12 in NCAA games since 04. Whoever comes out this year, do you see a MAC representative, maybe if it's Buffalo, if you're considering them the favorite right now, finally getting out of the first round and winning the game? Uh, so much about the NCAA tournament it comes down to matchups. Um like uh, Ohio is a great example in 2012. There were teams in that field that would have been brutal matchups in the first round for Ohio, and they got a team that was actually a pretty good matchup for them. So uh, hypothetically, I think Buffalo is the best team in the league. Let's say they win the tournament this weekend. They're in the bracket on Sunday. Uh, if the Bulls get a team that is uh, uber-athletic, that can run with them up and down the floor, or maybe wants to play just as up-tempo as Buffalo does, I don't think that's a, a great stylistic match for them. But if they get a team more half-court oriented, uh, a team with a different style, uh, I think that would play into Buffalo's hands a little bit. So Buffalo's capable of beating teams in the tournament. I think uh, Toledo's capable of beating some teams in the tournament. But again, a lot of it depends on who they end up facing specifically in those first-round matchups. All right. Um, Hang on one quick second. Cassie, I'll I'll be out in a minute, okay? I'm I'm, I'm talking on the phone, okay? Okay. My four-year-old just walked in. So <laughs> I, I heard someone in the background there. <laughs> so I'm like trying to give her the, hey, cake, you got to be quiet. Why? Why do I have to be quiet? <laughs> oh, yeah. Cassidy Valentino makes her nail debut. Uh, there, there you go, folks. But uh, All right. Anything else we need to know about uh, the tournament this weekend? I'm going to be coming down there on uh, Saturday night for the championship game, regardless of, of who's playing. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, if chalk holds and it's Toledo Buffalo in the final, I think that's going to be a heck of a ball game. Uh, these are, these are two teams that can really score it. They played uh, the first weekend of the max season, had a great game over in Toledo. Uh, if, if we get that rematch in the final, I'd be very satisfied that uh, there's, there's two teams that have been the best teams over a nine week conference season can, like I said, can really score, can, can play a lot of fun, good looking basketball. If that's the final we get, I, I think that can be a win for the, for the Mac, but, but again, if uh, there are any upsets along the way, uh, it, it's going to be a tough sell. Well, 
whether it's uh, Buffalo and Toledo or or whomever else, uh, always a good time uh, down at the uh, the MAC tournament. Uh, one of my favorite things to go check out every year. So, uh, and, and I just on. want to say, Tom, this this is kind of a transition year for the MAC. There's a lot of youth in the league right now. Uh, you look at a team like Miami, who's playing four true freshmen. Uh, Ohio, uh, this is a transition year for them. Akron is going to look like a completely different club next year when they get some of their transfers eligible. Uh, I, I think the MAC is is again transfer season in April, May, and June will, will might change all this. But several of the teams that aren't real great this year, I think, have a chance to be good next year. And I, I think the the, the conference is, is looking at a step up in terms of how it's perceived nationally next year. I don't know if that means a, a second bid. But, but there's a lot of youth in the league and a lot of transfers becoming eligible. I, I, I think uh, next year is going to be really, really competitive as far as the top half of the league goes. All right. Well, since you mentioned that, before I let you off the hook here, you know, we started this discussion talking about Ohio and, and how much it hurt losing Jerron Simmons when he transferred to Michigan this year. And that grad transfer loophole feels like it's kind of become a, a, a thing that the mid-majors especially need to worry about when you get players like in Jerron's case that want to go take a shot at, at a year at playing for a high major. Um, is, is that something that you see kind of being a, a, a stressor around the league this year? And um, is that something that's going to be kind of a problem going forward? Because, I mean, it's not just Ohio that got dinged by that. I mean, Cleveland State, I mean, God bless yeah. them. They got to the, the Horizon League final uh, tonight. There's a trial for uh, grad transfer. But, yeah, I mean, that yeah. basically cost Gary Waters his job there. Um, I think transfers in general, or it's it's about reached the tipping point. It, it's Is that th- things are – the way in the college game right now where if you're a division one head coach, you, you're not recruiting year round. Uh, you're not just recruiting new players year round. You're recruiting your own roster year round. So it's not just the kids that are graduating. It's the, the sophomores to be, it's the juniors to be, it's the seniors to be on your roster. Uh, the, 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 the transfer rate is, is, is too high in my opinion. It, I know it's, it drives a lot of the mid major coaches crazy. You're always, it always feels like you're, you're trying to reload instead of building, building, building. Um, so what kind of solutions are in the works for the NCAA? I, I don't know. I know, uh, Saul Phillips is, is a big fan of if players want to transfer as graduates, they should, they should be allowed to do that. You know, they've graduated. They, they, they've, you know, up, uh, upheld their end of the bargain. But the grad transfers, that program they go to, make them accountable for that scholarship for two years. These guys are supposed to be going there to get a, uh, to, to be graduate students, to, to complete two years degree. Well, then they should count as on the scholarship total for two years, whether they play that first year or the second year or, or, or whatever. But that's one solution that I think makes a little bit of sense. When you grad transfer, you're going to count on that team's roster for two years. And, that, and I think that would curtail a lot of the poaching that goes on. Uh, from from power programs, picking up a guy to serve as a backup point guard, or to pick up a guy uh, as a break in case you know break glass in case of emergency guy. I, I think if they knew that guy was going to count on their roster for two years worth of scholarship, then I think you would see a lot less of that. Hmm. That's an interesting solution I had not heard pitched previously. Because uh, yeah, that's always kind of the the. The awkward balance is that, you know, you get players. I mean, if it's not a grad transfer situation, if somebody's just transferring as an undergrad, they got to sit out a year 
And, uh, you know, it, it's hard to tell players, you know, you, you don't have that kind of freedom of movement when they're getting recruited by coaches, especially in mid-major programs. So if, you know, they go, uh, go on a, a great run in the NCAAs, all of a sudden they're a, a candidate for seven jobs at the high major level and, and they could be bolting right away. I mean, Ohio lost John Gross to Illinois after their sweet 16 run. And, you know, he's certainly not the only Mac coach that's gone to, uh, greener is in, you know, more green in the bank account mm-hmm. uh, pastures. So, yeah, it, and the two year thought isn't, you know, that, that player wouldn't sit that year they transfer. They, they could transfer and play right away, but that year after he's done playing, then that scholarship would in theory still count. Uh, like in Jerron Simmons case, if he transferred to Michigan, okay, that's fine. But Michigan's got to count that same scholarship again next year, even though he's used up his eligibility. Because in theory, he's supposed to be transferring to pursue a graduate degree, and that takes at least two years. So, well, then let's let's make that scholarship stick for two years. And that's the reason why the, the there's no like sitting and waiting a year with the grad transfer. It's it's ostensibly yeah. because you've completed your undergrad and you want to go to grad school, and it's for a program that where you're at now might not necessarily have a graduate program. So you know a lot of a lot of people will go somewhere else for grad school and you know continue your athletic eligibility that way. Is that is that kind of the rationale behind the way the reason that works the the way it does? Yeah, yeah, and uh, you know in theory, and uh, I think. We've seen people used to used to play up that fact. Well, he's he's transferring here, yes, for a chance to pursue this specific degree. Well, now they don't make any pretense about that. <laughs> now it's yeah, he's going there to to do that to you know to play for this team or this coach or whatever. And 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 again, I'm not saying you shouldn't allow the player to to transfer and play right away, but but make the program accountable for that scholarship spot for two years. And I think you would see a lot of those power programs. Uh, re-examine their interest in using that kind of that kind of transfer to to, to fill out their roster. Interesting stuff, and uh, definitely something to keep an eye on in in college basketball. Uh, outside of just the the scandals that are making headlines right now, I have a feeling a lot of things are going to be changing in the sport here over the next couple of years. But uh, it, it's going to be kind of fun to watch. But in the meantime, uh, got some good basketball coming to Cleveland this weekend. I'm excited and. Uh, uh yeah should be fun man i'll be there i'll be uh i'll be here all weekend uh covering a little uh covering the men's tournament covering a little bit of the women's but the thursday is one of my favorite days of the year you get the four quarter quarterfinal games all in a row you see a bunch of different teams a bunch of different players a bunch of different coaches and uh if folks get a get a free afternoon uh, I, I recommend coming over for that because that that gives you a good taste of the you know the width and the breadth of the entire conference when you show up for quarterfinal thursday very good. Well, Jason, this is fun as always. I appreciate you uh, joining us uh, on the nail here once again. Thanks, ma'am. Thank you, Tom. I appreciate it. Anytime. All right, folks, that's going to do it for this episode. Big thanks to Jason Arkley from the Athens Messenger for joining us. He'll be a great follow on Twitter all weekend for the MAC tournament at Jason A. Messenger. As for our show, we invite you to subscribe to the Nail in the Coffin in the podcast app on your iPhone. For you Android users, we're on Google Play as well as Stitcher. And if you're listening on your computer at work, stream us on waitingfornextyear.com. Also, be sure to like our Facebook page, facebook.com slash thenailpodcast. Our thanks again to Jason Arkley. Uh, we're going to try to have another episode for you later this week. And my tag team partner, Travis Uli, will be back on for that one. Until then, I'm Tom Valentino. This has been The Nail in the Coffin, and we will talk to you again soon. 
Hey there, and welcome to the Joy of Paddle podcast, hosted by me, Minter Dial, a veteran of the paddle tennis world, and sponsored by Paddle 1969. Whether you're a paddle tennis aficionado, just beginning, or have never even heard of paddle, or padel, as it's called in North America, this is an exhilarating new show that delves into the captivating stories of notable paddle personalities worldwide. In its inaugural season, you'll be treated to exclusive anecdotes, valuable tips, life lessons, and humorous moments shared by esteemed professional paddle players, industry insiders, and passionate paddle enthusiasts. With each season aligning with a pro tour, you can anticipate two engaging episodes per month. The Joy of Paddle Podcast is part of the Evergreen Podcast Network, where you can find other great shows in a number of categories, such as sports, health and wellness, true crime, and fiction. To find out more about Evergreen Podcasts, go to www.evergreenpodcast.com. Vamos! Vamos!